Hello, everyone. My name is Jacob Emerson, and I'm an editor with Becker's Healthcare. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Becker's Healthcare podcast series. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by Steve Morgan, who is the Chief Operating Officer at WellSky. Steve, thanks so much for taking the time to join us this morning. Jacob, thanks very much for having me. Glad to have you. And with that, let's just jump right in, Steve. First, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then what is WellSky, and what do you do there? Yeah, thanks again. Um, really excited to have the opportunity to talk a little bit about WellSky, more so than myself, but I'll start it the way that you asked. I've been in healthcare a little over 20 years, um, all of my uh, professional career, almost 23 years at this point, has been focused on technology and services in support of healthcare delivery. Um, my first healthcare stint was at a company called Cerner Corporation, which I'm assuming most people are familiar with. It's been about 10 years at that organization in a variety of roles, um, early part of the 2000s as digitization for healthcare was becoming a, uh, a bigger and bigger uh, mainstay and, and, and approach to how healthcare delivery needed to be transformed. And then at the end of that tenure, I made the decision to go work for uh, really the largest healthcare company in the world in United Health Group. I uh, was a part of the Optum team, which is the services arm for United Health Group. I spent eight years at that organization in the most recent role being the chief operating officer of Optum Insight. Optum Insight is the business inside of Optum that uh, works with health plans all across the globe, uh, providers all across the globe, life sciences organizations, as well as the government agencies, both federal and state at the U.S. level. Um, and it was a tremendous experience to be there because you really got a, a great grasp and understanding of how healthcare's inner workings um, functioned and certainly areas for opportunity for healthcare to improve you know, primarily in the, in the United States marketplace. And then I, I uh, moved on from, from that role at Optum and joined WellSky uh, just at about five years ago, came into the company as a chief operating officer of WellSky, uh, where I have responsibility day in and day out for the running of the business and ensuring that we are driving maximum value to our clients um, you know, at, at all levels of the organization. Um, each and every day, and have been in that role ever since, and that's the role I currently have. Uh, WellSky, at its core, is is really America's, uh, you know, one of the largest, most important, really most innovative technology companies um, supporting healthcare. And you know, we're working really hard to get brand awareness and be better understood by uh, all constituents at all levels of healthcare. We serve the widest range of care settings and represent the most prevalent of connected networks. And what I mean by that is we have roughly 2,000 hospitals and health systems as clients, 130,000 providers across the continuum. The majority of the continuums of care uh, at, at a, uh, a regional level and area agencies on aging at a state level, 20,000 social care and social services organizations and more than 5 million caregivers are supported by WellSky each and every day. And so we feel pretty uniquely uh, equipped to help our clients accelerate their own growth, um, scale their own processes, uh, navigate the changing landscape around value-based care and the move from fee-for-service reimbursement to one that's based more in outcomes and, and, and value. And we do that using our intelligent care management solutions, which are inclusive of predictive analytics, care coordination cap capabilities, 
um, health at home models, and a pretty heavy emphasis on ensuring that our provider organizations understand and know and go eyes wide open into what it would take to successfully succeed in a value-based or a risk type of construct. And we provide real-time visibility and connectivity um, to these networks of providers, you know, to both payers and community-based organizations and, and uh, bi-directionally back into the provider organization. So, yeah, I don't want to say we're a well-kept secret, but, um, you know, our hope is that uh, we become more and more well-known for what it is that we're working with our provider and payer clients to do and in disrupting healthcare each and every day. So that's a little bit about myself and, and WellSky. Wow. Well, I appreciate the rundown there, Steve, and really interested to hear about all of WellSky's uh, offerings and capabilities that you provide. You, you mentioned, you know, obviously you have a long background in healthcare delivery, and that kind of leads me to my next question. We're seeing healthcare delivery in this country transform right now, and especially over the past few years. Just this morning, Beckers was reporting that CBS Health is going to be purchasing Oak Street Health, the primary care company. So can you talk to us about this evolution in, across your career? Um, why is the consumer preference for where to receive care changing? And how do you think this trend will evolve in the next few years? Yeah, certainly. I think it's an interesting question. And, um, you know, it's probably consumer preference has probably accelerated more than we would have even anticipated when we started the WellSky journey, you know, years and years ago. Um, but I think it gets back to the most basic of, of human trends that we're all experiencing, which is our desire to shop and be entertained and, you know, obviously receive healthcare at home. Um, everything's really coalesced around technology and, you know, technology today is vastly different than it was, you know, even 10 years ago, much less 15 or 20 years ago. Um, so that convenience factor has bled into every uh, part of, of, you know, walking and waking life. And I, you know, I, in terms of uh, the evolution for consumer preference around care, consumers are preferring to age in place and remain in their homes. And that's based on a lot of different data, data points, um, not the least of which is the American Association of, of Retired Persons or AARP uh, conducting a survey just two years ago in 2021. And in that survey, it illustrated that 77% of adults 50 and older want to remain in their homes for the long term. Um, other interesting statistics on the same vein, 94% of Medicare beneficiaries say they would prefer to recover at home following a hospital stay. And 97% of health plan leaders believe that more care should be delivered at home. If you think about that in the context of Medicare Advantage and the enrollment that's increasing day in and day out, that will only accelerate because there's 10,000 baby boomers that turn 65 every day. And in fact, by 2030, every baby boomer will be 65 or older. So that's 74 million Americans or one out of every five will be in the 65 plus age range and fall right into that um, demographic of preference for aging at home, preference for receiving care and recovering at home following a hospital stay. Um, I think, you know, generally consumers just care about receiving higher quality, lower costs with care, and they want a better experience. And that's not dissimilar from what they want. And, you know, collectively, we all want in everything that we do with this convenience factor of life now, as I said at the beginning around shopping and entertainment and, you know, other services that, that we tend to take up as consumers. Today, 10% of care really takes place in these ambulatory type settings. 
that's expected to grow to 32% of the next 10, 10 years, according to McKinsey. So there's a lot of dynamics um, that continue to paint the picture that this trend is not going away, but it will just continue to accelerate. And I think we were starting to see that before COVID-19 and the pandemic that, that hit us all. Patients were preferring to go home and um, get home and avoid other care settings after a hospital stay instead of going to some other facility. And that trend has not only remained, but it's it's strengthened post-COVID. And that's really what I meant at the outset of answering this question. Our projections of how fast we thought this trend would change have exceeded our own expectations. And I think COVID was an accelerator for that. It's created a tremendous amount of tailwinds for a lot of the, the providers that we support um, who are the beneficiaries of delivering care in these, in these lower cost settings or delivering care in the home. But what our data would show us post, post the pandemic is that referrals to the home setting are still 22% higher than pre-pandemic levels, uh, while other facility-based referrals like skilled nursing facilities are largely back to pre-pandemic baselines, but they haven't really accelerated like they have in the home settings. Home-based care models are, are clearly emerging and growing if you just look at that data alone. Um, but think about it in the context of other programs like SNF at Home, Hospital at Home, and some other things that have been uh, originated out of CMMI or out of CMS or you know, just organically from an innovation standpoint by providers, large and small across the country. And I think the number of, of homebound individuals who need care in the home is really just expected to grow in size and complexity based on all those demographic uh, and trends that I gave you a minute ago about the, the aging of our, of our uh, society. I think if you build on the success of telehealth during the pandemic, and that's able to achieve market stability for health at home models, um, you know, the, the requirements for the underlying technology and the infrastructure to support those types of models will also rely heavily on analytics and other relevant data sets moving forward. And I think the, you know, maybe the, the punchline to all that is any organization that seeks to operate intelligently in one of these health or health at home type models, they're going to have to invest in technology and data and analytics and really have a, a good sense of what's happening with the people that they care for each and every day. And, you know, we're at WellSky, we're really excited about the trends and what it means for better healthcare in the United States, honestly. Wow. I mean, it's just, it's so fascinating to hear you say that this trend is growing faster than even you would have expected it to. But I suppose that makes sense. More people are at home. The average population is getting older. Um, Steve, you mentioned that shop, people want to shop. They want to be entertained. Those industries, like, like you said, they're now built around tech and consumer data. And that's what healthcare delivery is going to be need to be built around moving forward. So can you talk to us a little bit about the specific technologies, the, the diff how data can really support this shift in consumer preferences within the healthcare space? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think we know that historically post-acute care has been wildly underfunded, underutilized, um, has been under-digitized. And we know that is based on the uh, prevailing you know, data points around cost and quality, 12% of healthcare spending happens in post-acute care, but 73% of, of variation in cost and quality happens in post-acute care. So historically in this part of, of healthcare delivery, providers have been siloed and you know fairly fragmented if you just think about the rough and raw number of individual organizations, which are in the tens of thousands, you know, across home health, personal care, hospice, 
um, skilled nursing facilities. So far more provider organizations and entities than there are even hospitals or health systems in the country. And, you know, frankly, it was only going to be a matter of time before it needed to be addressed largely because of that 73% number. The, that, that variation in cost and quality uh, screams uh, the need for, you know, technology and data and, um, you know, some level of disruption. And payers and providers are going to need technology more than ever because of it. And, and also because of staffing shortages that are running rampant in all parts of the industry where organizations are relying on solutions now to do more with less. Um, if you think about management of chronic conditions, medication adherence has to be optimized in order to avoid preventable readmissions. And that's going to be um, and can uh, be aided by technology um, in playing a, a strong role in, in ensuring that that's happening at a, at a person level. Data and reporting tools have been around for years to help providers run their businesses, um, track patient histories, et cetera, et cetera. But now more providers are benefiting from an availability of predictive analytics rather than just um, business intelligence tools only. And predictive analytics are really important because they can service um, you know, relevant and actionable insights from patient data to really determine what type of care is needed, both, both medical care and non-medical care to improve overall health outcomes. <clears throat> you know, frankly, these types of insights are going to be critical to understanding uh, hospitalization risk that somebody might have, um, what kinds of social services they might need, non-medical services they might need to aid in their overall improvement of health or deterioration that may be occurring, um, utilization management for improved care planning. And all that can be done on more of a real-time basis today more than ever before. And I think building those types of capabilities directly into the caregiver workflow is really critical uh, for anyone that's supporting healthcare delivery day in and day out. And as I said earlier, the shift of healthcare delivery going from fee-for-service payment models to more value-based, which has been going on for you know, years and years in the acute care settings and certainly in the ambulatory or physician market, um, that's, that's going to create an increasingly uh, strong emphasis on providers understanding how to improve care quality and outcomes while keeping costs at a minimum and leveraging the right technology and predictive analytics and data that they have at their disposal in order to deliver against those things. You know, we know that providers who use things like predictive analytics can see real measurable impacts on the outcomes that they're that they're seeking to achieve. Some 12% reduction in hospitalization rates, 11% improvement in discharge to community rates, 8% decreases in visits per admission. You know, and frankly, WellSky users of predictive analytics, which we call Care Insights, far outperform national benchmarks like those. So. Um, I think technology and data can and have to support this shift in care to answer your, your you know, question real simply, but there's a myriad of ways that it's going to have to be required to be deployed and leveraged and, and utilized in order for the, you know, the outcomes to come out the way that providers and patients and ultimately those who pay for care are seeking them to, to, uh, to, to be realized. Sure, sure. And you had mentioned that kind of the wider context of what we're talking about here is the shift from fee-for-service payment models toward more value-based care. 
Um, it, it seems like a lot of the focus right now is on supporting patients' clinical and non-clinical needs. So how do you think the industry can truly move toward a, a whole person care mentality? Yeah, really good question. You know, again, I, I think we know that clinical care impacts only 20% of a patient's health, which means the other 80% of a person's health is, is really affected by what we refer to and the market refers to as social determinants of health, things like food, education, where someone might live, um, where they might work, how they get around the community that they live in. And with more and more care moving to the home, there are many, many people in our in our healthcare system that can't get the care that they need because of their location. Whether they live in a rural community or they just, you know, frankly, they lack, you know, the right transportation capabilities or um, lack some level of wherewithal to get where they need to ensure that they get the care that they're that they're um, effectively in need of. And I think as your point about this shift from fee for service to value based care, as providers are held accountable, which is really the the um, underlying nature of, of value-based care, they uh, they have to think about how do they realize what they're trying to do at a population level and a reduction of cost level. Um, and they got to do so with the right tools and strategies to identify all of those elements that we just talked about that fall into that 80% bucket. So the socioeconomic drivers of poor outcomes and higher costs, they're going to have to have better data. They're going to have to be able to identify where those health inequities exist and then how they as a provider can help facilitate specific interventions to help address and impact, um, you know, ultimately what's what's happening with that 80% bucket. If they're equipped with the right data on those social determinants of health, I think they'll be able to define and document the increasing complexity of their current patients, how they ultimately can transform their outcomes with more integrated services with community partnerships, um, with maybe non-standard ways of thinking about delivering care to their to their patients um, in order to truly get to, I think, as you put it, whole person care. And so it's really going to require connectivity of acute, post-acute social service providers. And the best way to do that is through technology and care coordination capabilities where we're able to coordinate and direct patients to the resources they need and use the data to help inform and understand the trends that you know should either change that care plan or keep that care plan going in, in the trajectory that it started on. Um, you know, really a network that connects medical, non-medical, and social care providers uh, is the right type of, of combination and network that's going to be required for ensuring patients don't fall through the cracks. And as a country, we were able to reduce hospitalizations, readmissions, and ultimately decrease costs. So it's going to require, I think, again, the punchline, it's going to require new, um, unique, and long-lasting and different longer-term partnerships between traditional clinical providers and, um, you know, the types of providers today that are becoming more and more in in demand in, in the uh, social services setting. Absolutely. And Steve, you had mentioned that payers and providers as well, they're going to be needing to forge new and unique partnerships and collaborations in this journey of healthcare. Um, but obviously, they've had a pretty combative relationship up until this point. So how do you think providers and payers can come closer together to really support this evolution of care and then value-based care models? 
Yeah, well, I think you're right that payers and providers definitely need to collaborate more um, and they need to do so in order to coordinate the rate care and address you know, what we just talked about, which is clinical and non-clinical needs. And there are obviously good models to pull from because that collaboration has been a requirement of the last you know, 10 plus years as a result of value-based care finding its way into acute care settings and ambulatory and physician settings, as I indicated earlier. But, you know, but ultimately, it comes down to how do you better manage chronic conditions? How do you engage more members? How do you control spend? And how do you ultimately improve quality, which is really the most important thing in this whole equation? And I sound a little bit like a broken record because I've said this in at least a couple of the questions that you asked, but I think the collaboration is easier and made way more possible through technology and the, the type of connected ecosystem of providers, you know, across acute, post-acute, community, social service providers, as, as I indicated earlier, um, it's just made far more feasible through technology because what it does is it allows us to bring, you know, increased visibility and, and influence into patient and member care. And it allows us to put analytics around network performance and really provide transparency to what's happening to both, you know, constituent groups uh, that we're talking about here. And that visibility obviously becomes really, really important because it can help providers and payers take necessary steps to proactively intervene you know, when a patient or a member's care is, as I said earlier, deteriorating or uh, keep the course going the way the course is going if it's continuing to improve. And I think about it in the context of maybe some specific examples um, that, that are you know, being measured and, and you know, in, in particular payers are being uh, held accountable to. There's, there's something called the FMC HEDIS measure you know, follow up after ED visits for members with high risk, multiple chronic conditions. In order for a payer to perform well on a measure like that, they need to know in real time when a member seeks care in an emergency department. So they, as a payer, can do a follow-up within seven day, um, a seven-day timeframe. Without technology and real-time insight into when somebody shows up into the emergency department, payers really do struggle at succeeding at a measure like that. Another example would be visibility into the home. It's been a very common black box. Um, you know, contracting is done on a provider to provider basis, but uh, I think more of a historical disadvantage of just the fragmentation of this marketplace, it's been very difficult for payers to have the visibility to what's happening with one of their members as they receive care into the home. Having a single point of connectivity into home health, home care, personal care, social care, payers really have an opportunity now to deploy protocols and provide new levels of coordination for these uh, patients like they've never had before. And, you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that it's not just about real-time um, information and understanding when members are receiving care. Health plans also have the ability to influence a journey for a member or for a patient. They can have a huge impact on a member's overall health and ultimately better control their post-acute spend. And that starts and stops at the point of discharge and discharge planning and post-acute management. So where there's technology that's embedded in workflows upstream at, at point of discharge that can help guide where a member could receive the best post-acute or home-based care based on quality or performance, that's gonna be remarkably important to those who pay for care and ultimately to the outcomes that, that patients um, are ultimately able to achieve based on 
how payers can now optimize their post-acute plan before discharge. And then obviously technology can help discharge planners um, as well, make sure that the members are aware of what their benefits and care programs are that frankly, has, and historically, they may not have had as readily available at their fingertips as, as a person was getting ready to be discharged from a facility. They can tell members now or patients now what support they're going to need in the home, how they can be set up for success before they leave the hospital. You know, and, and lastly, payers can ultimately optimize an in-home care plan based on what that member's unique needs are, whether they're just clinical or they're clinical and, and non-clinical, as we talked about earlier. And it's something we're starting to see in action today with our payer and provider clients, and the results have been really, really promising. Um, we're seeing a tremendous amount of increase in transitional care management visits, a, a really strong uh, and rewarding set of, of data points on reduced readmission rates, and ultimately an overall improvement in outcomes. You know, it's really an exciting time to be in healthcare and to be leading the charge on and around these trends, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's certainly a fascinating time, Steve, to hear you talk about this and to be at the forefront of healthcare delivery overall. I think it's going to be really interesting to see where payers go within this space as well. Um, but we've covered a lot of ground and touched on some really important topics. So, Steve, I want to just thank you for your time and for your insights today. Jacob, I really appreciate the opportunity, you know, um, getting a chance to tell the WellScape story, but do it in the context of, you know, the broader trends that I think we're all facing in healthcare is really exciting and I really appreciate the opportunity to um, spend time with you today. Thanks again for taking the time to, to have the discussion. Absolutely. And I'd also like to thank WellSky for sponsoring today's podcast. You can tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckershospitalreview.com.